Hello, and welcome to Hall Render's Practical Solutions Podcast, featuring thoughtful analysis and insightful commentary on the legal issues facing the healthcare industry. My name is Alyssa James, an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. And today, my colleague Greg Wallander and I will be discussing the ECRA law, which stands for Eliminating Kickbacks in Recovery Act of 2018. This law was passed in October of 2018 as part of a larger act known as the Support Act, which focused on substance use disorder prevention as well as opioid recovery and treatment. Um, As I mentioned, this law was passed with the intention of being a comprehensive law that would combat the opioid epidemic at various levels within the healthcare industry. Now I'm going to kick it over to Greg to give us a little more background um, and kind of introductory discussion into ECRA and its implications. Sure, thanks Alyssa. Yeah, ECRA was ultimately buried in an opioid law when it was enacted and and really caught a lot of people by surprise. It was not part of some of the uh, initial drafts and even even drafts that were, uh, drafts of the law that were were in process before the final act um, support act, as Alyssa mentioned, but but it but it ended up being being buried in there like uh, uh, peanut butter and jelly in, in 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 between two slices of bread, and it's right in the middle there, and 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 so we're faced to deal with 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 this law, which is very comprehensive. ECRA, it's an all payer statute, so it's and it's and it's covered with. I mean, it addresses services that are covered by any healthcare benefit program. And so it applies to both uh, federal payers as well as commercial insurers. Um, And the reason it's a federal law, it applies to programs affecting interstate or foreign commerce. But but what it really does is it establishes criminal sanctions up to $200,000 fine and 10 years imprisonment for kickbacks with respect to services covered uh, by any type of healthcare benefit program, as I mentioned, and it prohibits kickbacks regarding the solicitation or receipt of remuneration for referrals to recovery homes, clinical treatment facilities, or laboratories. Laboratories have received uh, the most scrutiny under under this uh, law uh, at this point in time, and and ECRA further criminalizes the payment or offer of remuneration to induce a referral. Uh, of it. So soliciting or inducing uh, the referral can cause liability un- under ECRA. So this is a very broad, broad statute to, to pay or receive money or solicit or receive money in exchange for re- referrals or patronage uh, for recovery homes, clinical treatment facilities, or laboratories. Now, where, where we see some of these issues uh, in, in practice really, really come into well, what about employees? What what about payments for marketing services? Payments to independent contractors? Those kinds of things. We have discounts uh, with respect to um, uh, pharmaceuticals. We have dis- discounts with respect to laboratory services. We have discounts 
that, that go across the board in, in the healthcare continuum. We have employment arrangements, we have services arrangements. So there's a lot, there's a lot to deal with here uh, with ECRA. Um, Alyssa, let's talk a little bit about the exceptions with, with ECRA. Let's, let's go through, through them and, uh, and we can, we can chat, chat about them. As I mentioned, there are, there are discounts across the continuum, um, but there, uh, th there is an exception under, under ECRA for, for discounts, as long as they're properly disclosed um, and reflected in, in the provider's entities, costs, or charges. So in the supply chain context, uh, there, there, are, um, the, there are exceptions for, for this. There also are um, e exception uh, language uh, for Medicare, or there, there's also an uh, exception co coverage language for Medicare coverage gap drug discounts. So from a discount perspective, um, ECRA does have those two exceptions uh, to, to keep in mind. But let's, let's focus, Alyssa, let's talk about payments to employees and, and independent contractors. Sure. Thanks, Greg. So, so as you mentioned, there are several exceptions to ECRA. Um, I think one thing that just kind of more broadly is important to note is that some of the exceptions under ECRA are less forgiving or, or permit fewer activities than, say, would be permitted under the anti-kickback statute. So I think it's just important to kind of keep in mind when you're thinking through these types of arrangements that something may be permissible under the anti-kickback statute but not permissible under ECRA. And so, and so that's an important distinction. To your point, Greg, payments to employees and independent contractors, there, there is an exception for that under ECRA, um, but that exception requires that the compensation that's paid to those employees or independent contractors not be determined by or vary based on the number of individuals that are referred to a particular entity that's a part of the arrangement, um, or outside of the arrangement, the number of tests or procedures that are performed, or the amount that's billed or collected um, from healthcare benefit programs. And so when you read the plain language of that exception, and then sort of the, the exceptions to the exception, if you will, um, it, it on its face prohibits um, commission-based payments that are very common, especially in the laboratory space, um, for sales reps and things like that. And so um, those types of arrangements that, you know, maybe would be permissible under the anti-kickback statute, for example, um, don't meet the corollary exception to ECRA because of those caveats of what those payments to employees and independent contractors cannot be based on. Um, so, you know, it really is trying to focus more on fixed fee type compensation for employees and independent contractors, which is generally speaking a, a pretty big shift for the industry as far as what would be permitted um, for those types of relationships. You know, that's, that, that, that's spot on. We've spent a lot of time, as you know, dealing with questions from clients across the country. And, and every conversation seems to be, is this really true? <laughs> can we not pay a commission anymore? Um, can we not pay incentive for achievement in this regard? Every salesperson 
is is compensated in, in, in this manner. And, and, and we agree and un understand this uh, sentiment. It, uh, it does seem very unrealistic that the intent was to be this broad uh, when you're dealing with even the private uh, commercial uh, insurance uh, world. But as, as Alyssa mentioned, you know, payments to employees and independent contractors that, that, that are not determined by or vary with individuals referred, number of tests performed or amount billed really, really cut off a lot of mainstream and accepted sales arrangements. Uh, and there are already um, laws on the books with, as well as uh, industry guidelines like the Pharma Code and AdvaMed, which govern, you know, um, institutional relationships and sales relationships between entities to to remove issues of, of, of inducement. So there are already there are already safeguards on, on the books, but 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 yeah, we've we've had to advise that that this law is broad. It, it, it potentially implicates a number of commission and other sales relationships. Um, and, and I think there are clients saying there are entities saying, well, it's just really hard that, that this can be intended in, in, in this manner. And, and we certainly empathize that. I think a lot of folks were have been saying, hey, let's let's see how this develops and see if Congress changes its mind or realizes that this was really an, an, an overreach. And we've talked with our, our DC office and folks about about this. And it's 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 not clear that that, that really there is an intent to revisit all of the, all, all of this. It, it can be politically expedient on either side of the aisle to say, hey, we're against opioid ab abuse, and so we're not going to touch any of these laws for fear of, of looking weak or some other term. And again, our interest is, is in making sure we, we get, this, get this right, um, but, but it's not clear that this, this law is, is going away anytime, anytime soon. No, I think that's exactly right, Greg. And, you, you know, it in the law itself, it references, you know, regulations that that may be promulgated in the future. Um, and, and we've seen nothing to that effect, um, to your point. And so, you know, we have this, this law that on its face seems overly broad and, and much more restrictive than than existing laws and not just in the sense that it also applies to commercial patients in addition to federal health care program patients but but also just in the conduct that it's on its face it permits um, and and you know in the year and a half over a year and a half um, since it has been issued we've seen no proposed regulations or any discussion about forthcoming proposed regulations that would maybe help clarify or, or fine-tune a little bit the the intent and, and maybe give some additional frameworks for for healthcare organizations, especially labs and, and entities that contract with labs, um, to maybe give a little more flexibility or at least, you know, move the needle a little bit back to where it was before. Because, you know, when we're talking about this, even though we're talking about this in the context of, of an opioid law, you know, it, it's important to remember that it applies to all 
laboratory services, not just those related to opioid testing and treatment. So it's it's very broad, and I think you know there are a lot of, of stakeholders in the industry who maybe aren't aware of of how broad it is, or you know, like you said, Greg, just kind of waiting to see what happens before they maybe take action to restructure um, all of their compensation arrangements that they may have with employees or independent contractors specifically um, with at least with regard to that exception. Um, but, but so far we haven't, we haven't seen any sort of, you know, guidance or, or inkling from, from Congress or the regulators that would help to, to kind of narrow down that scope a little bit or provide any more clarity. So, so in moving forward, let's round out a, a few of the, the final exceptions and, and then, we'll, then we'll move on uh, to enforcement. There, there is an exception for waivers or discounts of certain co-payments, co-insurance, um, as long as it's in good faith and not routine. Certain transfers to federally qualified health centers uh, under the anti-kickback statute safe harbor. Uh, remuneration made uh, pursuant to approved alternative payment models. So different, different kinds of uh, payment programs uh, for the government. Um, and, and so it does, if you're outside of, of the employment context and you're looking at discounts or other kinds of payments, there are some other exceptions to, to examine and find out uh, if you fall under those. But, but the main question we've gotten after, after looking at, at the exceptions uh, uh, relates to enforcement. And with respect to all, all federal laws, usually when they get put on the books, there's, there's a time lag for enforcement as the Department of Justice gets its arms around it, as everyone in the industry kind of gets their arms ar ar around it. Um, and it looks like we've had to wait about a year and a couple months uh, for for enforcement, it, this ECRA was an, enacted in 2018, but just uh, this year, the the start of 2020, uh, we finally have uh, an enforcement action. Alyssa, you want to chat a little bit about that and go from there? Sure. So so as you mentioned, um, you know, most recently we've we've seen one or not most recently, I guess, kind of collectively, we've seen one enforcement action um, in, in February. Um, and that enforcement action involved an office manager of a substance abuse clinic in Kentucky. Um, that office manager was allegedly soliciting kickbacks from the CEO of a toxicology lab in exchange for urine screening drug testing referrals. Um, the period of time in which the alleged conduct occurred was from around December of 2018 to August of 2019. Um, so, you know, in that period of time after ECRA was enacted, of course, but, but not a, an overly long standing arrangement before it went under investigation. Um, the office manager who, again, allegedly received a check of $4,000 from the CEO um, of the toxicology lab as a part of a larger package of, of promised inducements that were not actually received, um, ended up being sentenced to five months in prison, um, followed by an additional five months of home detention, and was assessed a fine of $55,000. So, um, although the the alleged inducement or kickback was really only valued at $4,000. Um, you know, her fine there was $55,000 plus um, time in prison. 
um, which is, is obviously significant. It, it doesn't go up to kind of the maximum allowable under ECRA, which is up to $200,000 in fines and up to 10 years in prison. Um, but certainly it, it would appear that the government is, is trying to let folks know that, um, you know, the enforcement under ECRA, if, if you find yourself in that position, will, will not be taken lightly, kind of given the, the prison time and the fine assessed in, in the one enforcement action that we do have. Um, it, yeah, yeah, this is significant, I think, to, to you know, as, as again, we, we wait for a law to be enforced and, and people have wondered, can, can the government really mean this? Well, they do. Um, well, they do. And, and it, it is going to be a law, at least, that is going to be prosecuted um, in, in some manner. My, my sense is that, that we'll see some sporadic enforcement. And I, I think it's going to take something that, that rises to the level of some sort of um, you know, marketing um, relationship or some sort of sales commission relationship that has been very commonplace and deemed very legal for, forever um, that, that, get, that rises to a level uh, to see if, in fact, there, there, there would be congressional action. But uh, I, I think everybody needs to understand with respect to ECRA, there is an enforcement now on the books. Uh, it's there. It was, you know, there was a, there was a $4,000 inducement situation, which, which resulted in a $55,000 fine and, and, and five months in jail. So, so pretty significant given, given what, the, what, what the issue was. So we're going to have to continue to monitor this. I think our advice is continue to monitor ECRA. I think, uh, I, I think folks need to be aware of the scope of ECRA, that you can't just assume that because it's not government that you don't need to review all your relationships. You do need to uh, review them, and, and again, don't assume that that if it's just commercial that you can you can move move forward. Um, and and so again, the the government's recent enforcement action underscores, you know, the need to to to, to remain keenly aware of, of this statute and maintain compliant arrangements. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I, I know we've seen an increase recently in, in kind of the necessity of ECRA-related analyses in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, for example, and, and proposed arrangements with labs related to COVID testing. You know, again, ECRA is not limited to opioid-related services um, and testing. And so, you know, as there was sort of a, a flurry of new arrangements and, and continue to be to some extent um, as a result of the, the pandemic that we're currently facing and, and um, you know, it's, it's important to keep ECRA in mind there as well and, and the implications that that may have on those arrangements. Of course, I think when folks are faced with, um, you know, very time sensitive analyses and arrangements because, you know, of the nature of COVID and, and wanting to get that testing up and running, it's easy to just kind of quickly put those arrangements in place without maybe vetting out some of the regulatory implications, especially those like ECRA that, that folks may not be as familiar with. Um, and, and while there have been waivers issued for certain fraud and abuse regulations related to COVID treatment and responses, which we've discussed on previous podcasts, um, there have been no published 
waivers that are corollary to that for ECRA. So it's just something to keep in mind that um, just something that is just because something is in response to the pandemic doesn't mean that these regulatory implications may not still be there. Exactly. So in wrapping up, if you're dealing with recovery homes, clinical treatment facilities and laboratories, be aware of all of your relationships, take a good inventory of them, uh, talk with counsel, see if any modifications are necessary. So appreciate uh, everyone listening today uh, and uh, hope you are all safe during this time. Thanks everyone. Thank you.